What's good, First Church? It's great to be here with you. My name's John, and I'm the senior pastor here. And I tell you what, we're wearing ugly Christmas sweaters, many of us today. And I texted my wife. I said, hey, can you make sure I got an ugly Christmas sweater? And she picked this thing out, which kind of was insulting to me because this is my favorite shirt. I wear this all the time. Like, this is kind of me. I feel like I'm dripping in this thing. You know what I mean? I feel like I look good. And she said, no, it's ugly. And I was like, <laughs> you reject this thing? You're rejecting me? This is who I am. It's like saying I don't like half Japanese men. It's like saying I don't like chicken teriyaki and rice. I'm like, I can't, I can't handle that, Kristen. Hurt my feelings. But here we are. And uh, it's okay. This thing's too hot anyway. I can't wear it. All right? I'm going to take a break. I don't want to pit out can't do it. That'd be bad. If I pit it through that, that would be incredible. But welcome online, Jasper County Jail, DeMott Wheatfield, and Hebron. Welcome to church. Merry Christmas. And uh, before we get into our services, I want to give you guys a quick update. Our church financially is coming up on the end of our budget year, which coincides with a calendar year. And right now, prorated, we're about 97%. So we're 3% short of our goals, which is pretty good. Um, our budget annually is $2.1 million, which I know might sound like a Dr. Evil amount of money, but that makes us the lowest cost dollar per person per weekend church and dollar per first time adult baptism and profession in the region. We're a super efficient church, which I'm proud of, which is great. And a lot of that is because we have a very hardworking staff. We're able to operate lean and mean with fewer full-time equivalent staff members. And uh, a lot of jargon to say, I think we're really good stewards of God's money. But uh, we did have a lot of unforeseen expenses this year, mainly inflation. Oh my goodness, is stuff expensive? I went out to eat the other day and I was like, what, $20 for a hamburger? What in the world, where are we? This is crazy. Are we talking pesos or dollars? Holy smokes. But uh, just to give you some perspective too, um, church, you know, church things are kind of expensive. Every building we build, we put three forward-facing projectors, you know, Hebron, DeMont Wheatfield, we have that. And they're custom-made, you know, with a custom lens and everything for the right height and the right throw distance. You can't use them other places, so you have to have them made. And uh, when we built this building, they were, they were expensive. They were $12,000, American dollars, a piece. And we had one blow up here at DeMont Wheatfield not too long ago, and it was no big deal. I just said, well, we'll get some new chips. You know, chips, that's not super hard. And it turns out getting chips is super hard. And so we had to have a new one made. We haven't yet because I got the bill the other day and it was $50,000. And I was like breathing into a paper bag. I said, everybody, let's just take a minute to just calm down. Everybody calm down and let's just think, think about this. But this is what I wanna say. I am so thankful for your faithfulness in supporting our ministry at our churches, your generosity, everybody giving proportionately to what God has given to us. And I think it's tithing is one of the many ways we acknowledge the lordship of Jesus in our life and in our finances. And uh, if this is your church home, I just wanna thank you for supporting our ministry here. We're in the second week of our Christmas series. It's all about finding joy in Christmas. And last week we had a foundational message to this series. I talked about fixing your thoughts right? Fix your thoughts. And I had to fix my thoughts. When I heard what that projector was going to cost, I was like, I got to fix some thoughts here. But definitely had a, a week where I applied that message. This week, another critical part of joy at Christmas is the presence of God. And I want to talk this week about how to feel and know the presence of God. We used to know God. Some of us, we would say we used to feel God. We used to experience God. We remember Christmases where we used to feel him so much. And today, for a lot of us, spiritually, I've been noticing this prevailing sense of numbness regarding the things of the spiritual nationally. And uh, I know people who feel like they're just whispering prayers to the void, wondering where God is in life. And if that's you, I think you're going to like this message today. I'm going to start by asking a question. Why do interruptions make us angry? 
Why do interruptions make us angry? Every day, I drop my kids off at school, and recently, we've been asked to come from the north, and I actually had a chart made. Can you put that? There it is. So the green there, that represents where you're supposed to come from on Begonia Street, if you're familiar with the area. If you're not, don't worry about it. You're supposed to come from the green. Green is good. Red is bad. Okay, red comes from 231, and we were backing up this major highway because too many people were trying to come from the red. And uh, coming from the green for me means I have to drive a couple miles through DeMott extra so that I can come from the green, which I'm gonna do. It's an interruption. It makes me a little frustrated every morning because I gotta leave earlier, get my kids in the car earlier, which for me is not easy. But I do it because it's what we were asked to do. Now, there are some evil sinners <laughs> who have been cutting in line they save time. They come from the red line right there. That's not what they're supposed to do. And every morning, you know, I have to do a little inner speak. You know, it makes me a little mad. Don't think I don't see you with your first church rings going around. I know who you are. Okay, your pastor's right here. I might have to send some elders to come talk to you about your sin issue in your life. But I smile and wave. And I've been doing this inner speech thing, right? And I'm like, John, it doesn't even matter. Like, we're talking about losing a minute to go around. I get to spend some extra time with my kids. And look, here's the other thing. As long as enough people come from the correct direction, we're not backing up 231 anymore. So why do we demand that everybody do it? To be fair? Like, that's ridiculous. Not everybody has to do this. As long as some people, it's fine. And what I really started realizing is, look, John, you're getting a little bit more time with your kids. On the way back, you get more time to pray, to listen to the Bible. Um, and I don't even have to go through the stress of turning left on a 231, which is like the worst. From Begonia Street, it is like super stressful, especially for me, because I'm a terrible driver. I'm trying to see above the wheel because I'm not a very tall man. I'm trying to do it. And really, I found the better thing. I found the better thing. And I was so worried about the next things that I had to get to. You know, I'm a busy man. I got to do this. I got to do that. I was worried about my next things. I didn't realize that I think God was giving me a better thing, maybe even the best thing. And it was all caused by that interruption. And here's what I want you to understand. This is a big deal, big phrase for the day. I gave up my next things and I got the best thing for my life because of an interruption. And sometimes interruptions are bad. Sometimes they do. They stop you from getting what you want. But sometimes, sometimes within an interruption, there is a better thing or even the best thing for your life. And I think part of the reason many of us are missing out on the best things of life is because we're so worried about the next things in life that we can't see the best things. Our obsession with the next things, it blinds us to the better or the best things right in front of us. Do you know people, they just got to go to the next thing, got to go to the next thing, got to do, and they're looking for the next thing in life, and they're blinded to all the best things that are right in front of them. I think the biggest reason interruptions make us mad is because they interrupt our plans, they offend our autonomy, and they stop us from getting our next things. We had a plan to get to the next thing. We were doing something in our life to get to the next thing, and then we get interrupted from our next thing. And whatever that interruption is, it's saying my next thing is more important than your next thing. And that's what an interruption is. We're on our way to our next things in life. And what is your next thing? For many of us, it's watching a TV show, figuring out what happens at the end of this thing. We've been binge watching, cooking a meal, driving a car, making a point in an argument or conversation. And an interruption comes along, and our goal that we want to accomplish, which is our next thing, gets stopped or slowed down. Sometimes it's just annoying. It's not good. But sometimes, sometimes I think we miss out on better things or the best things because we're obsessed with our next things. Have you ever met someone who is just, they can't handle, they can't handle, they can't even 
when it comes to change, when it comes to losing their next things. They're so attached to their next things, you know. If something in life doesn't go their way, they're like fanning themselves, calling their mom, crying, angry, yelling, I want to talk to a manager, one-star review, unacceptable. That's what they do. Here's the problem. Problem. Becoming a Christian means making Jesus your leader and forgiver, Lord, Savior, leader, master. What it means is saying, God, you are sovereign. It means in control of all things. I trust you that you are leading me through this life in every aspect. Essentially, what you're saying is, God, I trust you with all of my next things. And the problem is, a lot of us say that, but we don't actually do that. We don't actually trust God with our next things. God often moves through the interruptions. He interrupts our next things to give us the best things. And I think the reason so many of us have stopped experiencing the presence of God is because we stopped trusting God with our next things. And so we don't experience his presence in our life. Have you ever thought about the life of Jesus and what percentage of his life was an interruption? It's a lot. It's a lot. When you read, especially the Gospel of Luke, which we've been studying in the series, um, it's pretty remarkable. Let's start at Luke 1 in verse 26. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a tall drink of water named Joseph. <laughs> so cute. A descendant of King David, ro- David, royalty to boot. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, which it would be confusing and disturbing to be in your bedroom and have some glowing dude be like, what's good, Mary? And you'd be like, where's my Glock? You know, what are you doing here? Hello? Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, which that always works with a confused, angry, disturbed woman. I'm always like, Kristen, calm down. And she's like, yes, I will. Thank you for telling me. You know what I mean? Calm down, Mary. Don't tell me to calm down. You calm down. This is not what she said. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. It's quite an interruption. What was Mary's next thing? A wedding. She was going to plan a wedding. This is a big, exciting thing, you know, and she's doing all the stuff, posting her engagement pictures. Engagement pictures, you guys. How many engagement pictures are people getting? When I was a kid, you just got married. Now it's like multiple. I'm not old enough to see some of these engagement pictures. Like, wow, that's racing. Seven sets of clothing, multiple shooting locations released over a period of time, coordinated with your social media manager because you've got a personal brand to manage your 700 Instagram followers. It's a big deal. Engagement pictures, and then you got to say yes to the dress with all your bridesmaids. I'm sure they can't wait to take a day off work and watch you try on dresses and then post their picture with their arm out to hide their arm fat and their leg and, you know. <laughs> Look, we're here, buying clothes. That's her next thing. She's picking out venues, picking out dresses, picking out colors and flowers. She's doing it God's way. She's never had sex. Her and Joseph are waiting till they're married. They're excited. It's a good thing. And now she's pregnant which is an interruption of her next things for sure. And you know, my wife has said she would have loved to have carried the Christ child. But really visualize this with me. Okay, visualize. In your life right now, I don't care if you're 17 or 75, married, single, whatever. What if an angel of the Lord was like, what's good, girl, you're pregnant. And it's not your man's, it's God's. Well, how would you feel? Some of you would be like, look, angel of the Lord, I've had menopause for 20 years, okay? We're not, we're not, I'm past that. And God's like, no, you're not. Surprise! Based on your financial situation, your health situation, your holiday situation. 
That angel, by the way, ain't visiting your parents. You're gonna have to go on Sally, Jesse, Raphael to do that. You'll be like, see what happened was, paternity test, whatever, go crazy. But that's how Jesus came. I mean, it was a big interruption to Mary's next things. And I love her response in verse 38, Luke 1, verse 38. What, is, what does she say? Lord, may it be unto me as you have spoken. I mean, God knew what Mary would say. God chose Mary because he knew who she was. And what that phrase really means is, God, I trust you with all my next things. And what did Mary get? She got the best, the best things. Let's move on to the next characters in the Christmas story, the shepherds in the fields. Luke 2, verse 8, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, dot, dot, dot. That's an interruption. What were the shepherds doing? Guarding their flocks of sheep. They were working. They were working. They were at work. And they leave the line, they leave their job, middle of the workday, to go see Jesus. And they're now immortalized in major scenes around the world. It's pretty cool. But what would you do? Imagine that today. You know, what's a shepherd? I guess somebody at a mill, right? You're working at the steel mill? Hypothetically speaking, fixing blast furnace number seven, which has been down at the mill all week. You're lancing tap holes after a week of downtime. You know, management's down your throat. The union's down your throat. Everybody's angry, yelling, screaming at you. And an angel of the Lord appears at the mill and it's like, hey, go check out this baby. And you're like, what? You're like, look, Gabriel, I want to, but literally all of our mills are going to come to a grinding halt if we don't get these holes lanced yesterday. The coke plant's going to shut down. They need our slabs. The blast furnace might actually explode. We might die, all of us, if I don't get this fixed pronto. So why don't you tell Mary to just hold on for a minute. I want to be there. Believe me, I do, but I'm in a hurry getting to this next thing done now. That's how we act with God, isn't it? I've got this thing. I gotta do it. But that's not how God works. God doesn't work on our time. He works on his time. And often his time interrupts our time. He interrupts our next things. And the shepherds said, God, I trust you with our next things. And they got to be there at the best thing because they trusted God. Next story. Some of you guys don't know this, but the next thing that happens in the birth timeline, it's called Simeon's Moment. In Luke 2 and verse 25, at the time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout, and then, check this out, and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. How many of us eagerly wait? Just love, I love waiting on God. It's like one of my favorite things to do. I love waiting. Listen, everything we've done in life is to eliminate waiting. It's like the whole purpose of the 20th, 21st century. All of our inventions, you know, we've got Grubhub, DoorDash, you know, one day delivery. The other day I took my kids to this place called Walmart. Some of you young people don't understand what Walmart would be. It's like, a, it's like Amazon, but in real life. You know what I mean? And we went there and we had to like pick stuff off the shelf, put them in our carts. And then I haven't been to Walmart in a long time, but now they don't even have checkout people. They have like, you know, like a robot machine. I'm like, I'm not doing this. I can't do this. I'm too old for this. So I go wait in line at a cash register checkout thing and, and there's like five people in front of me. I'm like, oh, I've got to wait. Are you serious? I hate waiting. And I'm waiting. I'm judging the people in front of me. Why do you have 17 boxes of hamburger helper? There's some bad choices there. You should talk to your cardiologist, please. Like help me help you. Okay. I want to go faster. You should put some back. Let me go in front. This dude is eagerly waiting on the Lord. How long? The implication is a lifetime. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. Critical. The Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present 
The baby Jesus, to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there, and he took the child in his arms and praised God. The Spirit led him to the temple. How many of us are like, must be nice to have the Holy Spirit lead you to the temple? Listen, why did Simeon have the Spirit lead him? Because he was eagerly waiting. How many of us are eagerly waiting? Very few of us. How often did the Spirit lead Simeon? I don't know. The implication is not often. And for a lifetime, he was eagerly waiting for God to fulfill this promise to him. And that day, he was listening to the Spirit, and the Spirit led him. And think about his life, too. He is also probably working, probably busy. The implication is that he is not wealthy. Can you imagine Simeon being like, hey there, Mr. Boss Man, sir, the Spirit of the Lord is leading me to go to the temple, so I'm going to need to burn some PT. And the boss is like, ugh, what? And he's like, yeah. And Simeon's probably behind on rent. Gets in an old F-150 EcoBoost with rattling cam fa- uh, phasers and, you know, like, roached out cab corners, brake dust on the front wheels, matching topper on the back, because that's what you do. And he goes to the temple because God works on God's time. And Simeon trusted God with his next things rather than keeping them for himself. And he got to experience the best things. And that's what submission to God looks like. What percent of Jesus' miracles were interruptions? You know, we just look at the birth story, but his miracles, think about his miracles. Jesus turning water into wine. His mom made him do it. His mom came in and interrupted him. And Jesus was like, woman, my time's not come. And she was like, Jesus Christ, you listen to me. You turn turn this water into wine at Cana. It's an interruption. Jesus preaching at a church, or their equivalent of a church in Luke 4, 33, a demon-possessed man interrupts him. Literally, mid-sermon. That's an interruption. And he said, God, I trust you with my next things. I'm gonna get the best thing right now. Luke 5, 12, Jesus is on his way to some stuff and he meets a dude with leprosy. He's an interrupted man. And he takes the time to put aside his next things to take care of this dude. Luke chapter seven, verse 11, 7, 11. Great verse, great slushies. <laughs> it's a dad joke, guys. I could do that, I'm middle-aged now. Jesus is entering the town of Nain, and in verse 12, a funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who died was a widow's only son. A large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, uh, saw her his heart overflowed with compassion. How often? When a funeral procession's coming by, Andy Borsma's rolling on dubs, Craig Jackson's coming, you know, you see the hearse come by. How many of us are like, oh, my heart overflows with compassion? I have a moment of like, oh. And then I'm like, how many cars are going to be in this? Because I've got places to go. And I see all your orange placards and whatever. And I'm like, come on! Right? When the Lord saw her, his heart wasn't just, oh. It overflowed with compassion for her. Don't cry, he said. And then he walked over to the coffin and he touched it. And the bear stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. There ain't no plan here. Jesus' original plan was to go to Nain for their equivalent of a church speaking engagement. But he sees this. His next thing was to speak, but he sees this, and he says, God the Father, I trust you with my next thing. I believe that you'll give me the best thing in this life or the next. No matter what, I want to be obedient to you. And I'm going to seize this moment. This is so many stories. Jesus calming the storm, interruption. Jesus meeting the woman at the Samaritan well. He's got a schedule to keep. His disciples are like, J-Man, what are you doing? We gotta go. And Jesus is like, no, I trust God with the next things. Jesus comforting a woman caught in the act of adultery. Total interruption. Jesus and the woman with the bleeding problem. 
Jesus, in this story, is on his way to heal a famous official's child. And he stops. He says, whoa, somebody touched the hem of my garment. His disciples are like, like dude, I mean, everybody's pressing in around you. And Jesus says, no, God, I trust you with my next things. And I'm going to take a moment to care for this woman. God so often works through interruptions. This is where God often meets us. When we trust him with our next things, he often gives us the best things. And here's the thing. A lot of you are like, oh, no, I make time for God, Pastor. It's what I do. I make time for God. And this is how you do it, okay? This is how you make time for God. You say, oh, I'm going to make time for God between 5 and 5.30. God, I, uh, I got time for you. I'm going to pencil you in on my calendar. My wife and I have a first-come, first-served shared Google calendar. It's how it kind of works for us. We're very busy people. But, God, I'm going to block this time out for you because that's how important you are for me. I'll give you 30 minutes Okay, but can you just confirm that that works for you? I'm gonna send you an invite. I just want you to confirm that you're gonna show up because I wanna hold that spot for you. Believe me, I do, God, but I got a lot of other stuff. If you don't confirm, I'll just take silence as a no. No big deal. If you ghost me, um, I'm gonna fill that up with something else. But don't flake on me. Just RSVP. It's not that hard. You know, half my friends did it for my wedding. You know, the other half are idiots and they couldn't do it. But you're God. I know you will. Just return the self-addressed stamped envelope. Decline with regrets or we'll be there. Plus one. Who is your plus one? God, that's, I'm just, I've always been curious. But that's not how God works. God doesn't work on your schedule. God doesn't come to your party. That's not Christianity. We show up to God's party that he is hosting, that he is leading on his time, on his schedule, and on his calendar, his way. He almost always works through interruptions. Does being a Christian mean that God works for us? Many of us seem to act like it does. But that's not how God works. We submit our lives to his schedule, his authority, his time. Jesus in the Bible demonstrates this to us further in this famous story called the Good Samaritan. There's this man that comes to Jesus and he asks him a question that the dynamic equivalent today would essentially be, how can I be closer to God? That's what the man wants to know. How can I be closer to God? And I think that's a question that a lot of us have. How can we experience more of God's presence? God, what do I need to do to experience more of you? I feel kind of dry in my life. I want more of you in my life. And Jesus tells, it's called a parable. It's like a, a story, like a, a fable with a, with a lesson in it. The story is called the Good Samaritan, starting in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus says there's this, this Jewish dude, goes on a long journey, and he gets beaten and left for dead by some thugs, right, mugged. Two church staff members walk by, you know, Elise and Kristen, they're busy because they got a boss who just really is just on them, you know, and I wish that boss, that boss needs Jesus. But anyway, they're saying, I'm busy, I got time for this. You know, I'm in a hurry. I got Christmas Eve services to plan. I got a funeral. I got a wedding. I got, you know, family coming over. I got a mortgage to pay. Whatever their excuse is, they go past the man because they got their next thing. But then the Bible says a despised Samaritan comes by. It's not easy to overstate how much a Jew would hate that person. You know what's interesting is most of the world that doesn't have a Christian perspective or a historic Christian perspective does not like outsiders. In China, you know, they, they put outsiders in concentration camps. Look at the Uyghurs, the Christians, you know, it's crazy. They're killing them, exterminating them right now. In, in Japan, long history, you know, Korean people, they don't, they don't like them. In the Middle East, they don't like outsiders. But in the European nations, in the Americas, outsiders are welcomed. Why? <clears throat> because Jesus taught us in stories like this. Anyway, it says there's a despised Samaritan, which would be to the Jews like a Taliban member or to Americans today, kind of sadly like a political figure that you demonize the most, whoever it is, insert name here. It says, then a despised Samaritan came along. When he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And going over to him, there's some clues in the story I wanna highlight. It says, a Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. 
Then he bandaged them, and he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn where he took care of him. Then the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher, I will pay you the next time I'm here. Why am I highlighting these seven things? Because these are all seven little things to tell us that this Samaritan was wealthy and successful. He's a very successful merchant. He's got a lot going on. He's got a big business. Why wasn't he mugged and robbed? Probably because he's got an entourage of protection. This dude is busy. He's got a lot going on. He's definitely got some next things. And in this moment, he makes time, puts aside his next things, and trusts that God has a best thing for him. This is a multifaceted story, but the core lesson of this story, what was the original question? How can we be close to God? And God tells us this story and he says, look, in spite of your busyness, if you wanna be closer to God, you gotta start trusting him with your next things and believe that God has the best thing for you. And I find this deeply convicting. How many of us wander into Christmas busy? looking for God's presence, longing for God's presence, but we're so fixated on our next thing, we're gonna go here, we're gonna do this, we gotta do that, we gotta do these things, coordinate it all, make sure it's done, wrap these gifts, get it done, weekend, 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 next thing. We're not open to God giving us anything. God moves in and through the margins, through interruptions, his time, not our time, his story, not our story. How do we make space to trust God with our next things? I know some of you are like, oh boy, here it comes. Pastor is just going to get in our faces about our screen time. He can pull out his phone and say, look how many hours you spent on your phone. And look at my family. You know, Pastor John and Chris, here's a beautiful interracial couple. No TV, discipline their kids, have them cooking by the time they're two years old. In church, 50 weekends a year, all the time in love, every day. I bet they glow in the dark. And look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Look, I, I want to be clear. No one's perfect. Everyone's welcome, including us. We make many, many mistakes during the parenting series, uh, you know, feedback received. I, we're not perfect. We're very far from it, and that's not what I want to do today. That's not even the core of this story. I'm not going to tell you, like, cancel all your appointments and throw your phones in the garbage. Like, that's not what I want to do. Here's my big point today. We're missing out on the best things because we're unwilling to just trust God with our next thing. I think it's trusting God saying, and this is a big deal, I'm willing to change my plans for you. How often do we do that? How often do you look at God and say, God, I'm gonna change, I'm gonna rearrange my life for you. Interrupt my schedule. That's a mature thing to do. I mean, it's hard to do for anybody. When I had kids, I realized, man, I had to give up all of my next things, all of them, my whole life, to keep babies alive. It's hard, that's why mature people have babies. It's a selfless thing to do. Imagine Jesus on his way to his speaking engagement, seeing this funeral. The spirit of God was leading him to trust God with the next thing, and he got the best thing. Giving it up was probably not easy. I'm sure he thought, what's this funeral doing in my way? But God, I trust you. The Samaritan story. Two church staff members had stuff to do, and they didn't trust God with their next thing, and you know what? They missed out on the best thing. And the story doesn't even say they're terrible people. It's just they missed out on the best thing. They missed out on a deeper relationship with God. They missed out on the presence of God in that moment. And many of us, it's not even that we're all that busy. We've got time. We spend hours doodling on our phones, sitting on the couch, watching a show, doing whatever we're doing. And we miss out on God's presence. Not because we're too busy. It's because we're unwilling to trust God with our next things, on his time, on his schedule, in his moments, not ours. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Some of you know what he said. He said, Father, is there any other way? Is there any other way? What was he really saying? Saying, God, I got a bunch of next things. I got things, you know, I'd like to keep living. 
I got some plans, I got things I need to do, you know, I mean, I'm alive right now, which is pretty sweet. Is there any other way? But then you know what he said? He said, but not my will, but yours be done. God, I trust you with all my next things. All my next things. You're in control. You're in authority. And at the end of the day, God, I trust you. May it be unto me as you have spoken. And God gave Jesus, God gave Mary the very best things. At the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord on heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Because Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. Boy, did he experience the presence and the power and the blessing of God. Sometimes it doesn't always happen in this life. For Jesus, it didn't happen in that lifetime. Sometimes it is in the next life. And I'm not saying we can't have plans. We should, we should. I'm not saying we should be like, kumbaya, man, just go. Like Pastor said, honey, did you hear what Pastor said? We don't need to keep a calendar. We just do whatever we want, man. It's gonna be fantastic. No, Jesus had plans. He kept plans. He had a vision for his life. But sometimes, God is prompting. And it lines up, this is critical, with God's word, God's nature, and God's character. And as a Christian, you know, when the Spirit's prompting, you know, when it's just, boom, it's hitting you, and you know, you gotta give up your next thing and say, God, I trust you. It's not all the time. It's not even that much of the time. It's just once in a while when God shows up. For Simeon, it's once in a lifetime. We trust God with our next thing. God, I trust you with my next thing. I give it to you. I wonder, when was the last time you joyfully changed plans and trusted God with your next things? You had something you wanted to do and you said, God, I trust you with it. Because God allowed something to interrupt. For a lot of us, the answer is years. It's been years since I've given up a best thing for God. And this is why I think many of us don't experience the presence of God. Because we don't submit our life to God. Which is kind of part of being a Christian. You know, the devil believes in God. The devil's not a Christian. Being a Christian means you make Jesus your leader and forgiver. What does that actually mean? It says, it means God, my whole life is yours and I trust you with it. This Christmas, I dare you to change your plans and give God your next things. What does that look like? Maybe it looks like instead of going to Sandals or Atlantis or Cancun, what if you say, God, I'm gonna go on a mission trip. Right, we got a great one. We go to Guatemala for a week and you build a family, a house, which is amazing. I dare you to give your kids on a, a perspective on God's blessing in their life. I dare you to make the world a better place with a vacation. Oh my goodness, trust God with that. Maybe serve on a team. Instead of you know, coming in here and then leaving and doing the Heisman on a lady with a walker to get out to the parking lot so you can get back to your roast and whatever, what if you say, you know what, I wanna become a part of what God is doing here. Maybe you need to say, God, I'm willing to be single and celibate until I'm married. Even if I never get married, God, I trust you with my next things. Maybe you need to be sober for God. It's time to say, God, I don't just trust you with my life. I trust you with my mind, and I'm willing to have a clear mind for you. Maybe it's time to make some more godly friends, saying, God, I'm gonna give up my plans for you. I'm gonna make church a priority. I'm here, not when my yard is done and my laundry's done and I feel good and the sun's shining. No, God, I am trusting you with my next thing every Sunday morning. What if you set aside time to read your Bible? What if you start tithing to the local church? What if you invite someone to church? God's spirit is prompting you. You know you need to do it, do it. What if you make Christmas Eve a priority at the local church? Because here's the truth. Mary had her plans. Her next thing was to get married to Joseph. And her plans got upended in the biggest way. 
her next thing was completely, radically displaced. And you know, I'm, I'm not a lady, but I spent a lot of time dialoguing with Kristen about what it would have been like to have been Mary. And she's like, John, <clears throat> Mary's an incredible woman. I mean, especially before she was Kristen was a Christian, you know, she really put herself in that mindset. And she's like, you know, I, I was the kind of person, you know, I thought I was Christian. My parents went to church once in a while. We were sort of kind of raised with the idea of God in my life. I'd call myself a Christian. I thought I was a good person. She's, she'd say, I'd be angry at God. Why would you let this happen to me? I'm a good person. You ruined all my next things. God, I'm not gonna follow you if this is how you're gonna do me. This is a lot of us, isn't it? You got a next thing in life. And God in his sovereignty allows that next thing to be interrupted. Somebody dies. A job is lost. A betrayal happens. A thing happens. And rather than saying, God, I trust you in this and all things, we say, what's wrong with you, God? How could you? Why would you? How dare you? Of course we don't experience the presence of God. Do we even trust him? Do we even believe in him? We run from him. We get angry at him. And Kristen said, man, non-Christian side of me that thought I was a Christian, she's like, if an angel of the Lord appeared to me, I'd be tempted to go get a plan B, to go talk to Planned Parenthood. But God selected Mary because of who she was. He saw her heart, and in his sovereignty, he selected her. Because he knew what she'd say. Mary looked at her life, and she looked at her next things, her hopes, her dreams, her marriage, her life with her kids, all of those things, her dreams of a wedding. And she said, God, I believe that when I give you my next things, in this life or the next, it might not even be in this life. And for Mary, was it really in this life? I don't know. She didn't have an easy life. But she trusted that God would give her the best things. And she said those famous words, may it be unto me, May it be unto me as you have spoken. And today she's experiencing the best things. And today, I want to challenge you as you go into Christmas, as we go into Christmas, with all the plans changing and the scheduling changing and the family drama and the colds and the sickness and the conflict and the frustration and all the tragedy and the unexpected losses. And I want us to start saying, Lord, I trust you with my next things. May it be unto me. May it be unto me as you have spoken. I'm giving you my next thing and I believe in this life or the next, regardless of what happens, in this life or the next, I trust you. You have it all. I trust you. And I have one question today at the end of the message. Not a big list for a lot of you guys like, oh, thank God I can't do all the questions. You know, it's just too much. One question. One question. And I really want you to ponder this one. I did one because it's really important. What next things do you need to trust God with? today. And I believe that God's Spirit is upon us. When we are in church, God's Spirit moves. And I know right now, I think He's bringing to your mind and heart, what next things? What tragedies that have befell you do you need to say, God, I trust you to redeem it. Forgive me for having bitterness against you. What choices in your life? What are some of the things you've been unwilling to interrupt your life for, to follow Jesus with? Some of you, you are withholding things from God, and I want to be clear, being a Christian means making Jesus leader, Lord, Savior, Master, Forgiver. It's saying, God, I trust you with everything. I know that right now, God is moving in our hearts at all of our locations, showing us next things we need to give to him, and my hope and prayer is that you will give those things to him. When we get together on Christmas Eve, how special would it be for our church to really together, corporately, unified, the people of God, 
together saying, God, we trust you with all of our next things. Emmanuel, God with us, we worship you, we love you, we celebrate you, and we believe that you're a God who keeps his promises in all things, at all times, and even though we might not see it in this life, we believe together that the best is yet to come because you are good and you're faithful. As we close, I want to ask all of our locations at the jail, online, at Hebron and DeMont Wheatfield, can we stand to our feet? And I'd like to have a prayer. I ask you guys to pray with me and as we do pray, I'd ask you to just give God the next things you've been withholding. Let's pray together. God, we give you our next things. Our fear, our shame, our bitterness. Whatever it is we're withholding from you, God, we give it to you right now. God, in return, we trust because you love us, because you're good, because you're faithful, because of your promises. You are going to give us the best things. Even if we don't see it in this life, God, we trust that. You will give us the best things in the next. God, I ask that you give us faith and joy. We trust you with our lives. We receive your grace. We follow you as leader, forgiver, Lord, Savior, Redeemer. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing this last song together.